Grace and peace be yours in abundance through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. All right, so last summer, in the Facebook fan group for the television show The Chosen, which is loosely based on some of the Gospels, a fan posed this question. He said, hey, I'm trying to predict what major event will happen towards the end of the coming season. Being a devout Roman Catholic, I really hope that they show the transfiguration. It would make sense for the story. In response, the show's lead creator and showrunner, I just learned about that word, showrunner, uh, Dallas Jenkins, uh, son of the author for the Left Behind series, he responded this in a Facebook response. Quote, people keep saying that the transfiguration, lowercase t, would be an important scene, but I'm confused as to why. Dot, 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 what purpose would it serve my story? End quote. Now, I don't want to dwell on this too long, but one, if I can just propose to you that whatever you like to watch or read or whatever have you, um, to make sure that you know what source it's coming from, what kinds of people create it. But more importantly, I think this is a very good litmus test, or not litmus test, um, gathering of data that we just don't have on the general American population of Christians. So what is important? What is not important? What do people know about? What do people not know about? And so if a person with a lot of spiritual authority, like Dallas Jenkins, uh, who is producing spiritual content that is, I would say, affecting the lives of many, many Christians here in America and abroad, it would be important to know and to find out, well, if he doesn't know why Christians celebrate the transfiguration of Jesus Christ, maybe your average Christian also would like to know. And so, as your pastor today, I would like to talk with you and just take you through, if you are with your friend and they say, what did you talk about at church on Sunday? And you say, we celebrated the feast of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. And they say, what's that? You'll maybe have some stuff to talk about. So the transfiguration is one of the most five, or the five most important events in Jesus's adult ministry. So his baptism, his transfiguration, his crucifixion, of course. I would say that's the most important event in history, right? The resurrection and the ascension. On the top of a mountain, Mount Tabor, Jesus, which is a a mountain you can fly to right now and go walk up and really enjoy a nice afternoon. Maybe watch the sun go up or the sun go down, right? And up there, Jesus will reveal the fullness of his divinity. And that's important 
Because I don't know if you've ever encountered this in a conversation, but people love to say Jesus never claimed to be God. So why would you worship him? And so you can say, well, I don't know what you're talking about. We just celebrated the transfiguration on Sunday, which is recorded in three different historical texts. The gospel according to Luke, the gospel according to Matthew, and the gospel according to Mark. And there, Jesus reveals the fullness of his divinity, his godhood, in the biggest way before he rises from the dead. He shows that he is the fulfillment of all of God's word, the law and the prophets. Right? And I really, I encourage you to read, I know that you already do, but to read Cantor Jeremy's paragraph about our hymn today, O Wondrous Type. And to just think about in your head, okay, how is Jesus a type, or sorry, how are Moses and Elijah types of Christ, right? And you can read the definition there in that paragraph later, but that's the the wonder, the fun of the Old Testament. How is Moses like Jesus? How is he not all the way like Jesus? How is Elijah like Jesus? How is he not all the way there? How is Joshua, how is Joseph like Jesus? How did he not get all the way there? That's the fun, the spiritual edification of the Old Testament. It's all about Jesus. All of these men and sometimes women point to Jesus Christ. And here he is on the top of a mountain, glorified, shining like the sun, with those two guys there. Moses and Elijah. But above all else, in Jesus' transfiguration, Jesus Christ shows us that he does not stay up in the clouds. He doesn't. He doesn't just talk to us from up there or talk to us with a book that he left behind. Jesus comes down to you and dwells with you, and speaks to you in person, and touches you. And I think that is why Roman Catholics, the Eastern Orthodox, devout Methodists, and Lutherans celebrate the Feast of the Transfiguration. Jesus doesn't stay up there. He's not somewhere else. He's here. And he comforts you with his words and with his touch. Jesus Christ, God himself, born of the Virgin Mary, has come down from his mighty throne. My Sunday school teacher in fourth grade, Mrs. Matucci, who made the baptismal banner for my child, who made my ordination banner, she would say this, Jesus would be up there on his throne. He was on the rugby team. He was planning to go to boarding school. He wore nice clothes. Life was good. And he set that all aside and came down and became one of us. And that's the glory, the sacrifice of Jesus made full in his death. He shares even his death 
with us. But first, he comes down here to earth to be with Peter, James, and John. And in the same way, he comes down to be with you and your family. He does not just say to you from heaven, but he says right in front of you, Arise, don't be afraid. He reaches out and he touches you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. We hear about it at Christmas, but here in Epiphany, he makes it, he makes it known even more so. And so Peter, James, and John, they were, if you think about it in the context of the story, so we're in Matthew chapter 17. It's towards the end of Matthew. What's about to happen? Jesus is last week on earth. Bad things are going to happen to Jesus. And by, you know, uh, what the word is, by effect, bad things are going to happen to Jesus' followers. Very much so to Peter, James, and John. And so Jesus on a mountaintop is revealing his glory Because their mentor, their friend, is going to be arrested and whipped and mocked and lied about and crucified. He's going to be killed. So he manifests his glory to give them a taste of what is to come in the resurrection. He's going to give them comfort, something to hold on to so that they don't disperse, so they don't give up. But in the same way that when you are suffering or your friend or your family is suffering, when they are sick, when you're sick, when a friend is grieving, when you're grieving, when someone says, I hope they haven't, if someone says, stop crying, everything's going to be all right, in the moment, no, everything isn't all right. And it's hard to think about it not being Jesus does not just give words, though. He reveals his glory. And this is purifying light that shines like the sun. And I think we're eager to dismiss this. It sounds too Eastern. And yes, this is a central event in the Eastern Christian church, the transfiguration. But sometimes just let yourself have it. Imagine purifying, clean what they call uncreated light emanating and hitting your skin. Do you know what it feels like up here in Chicago when it's been dark and cold and snowy forever? Do you know what that feeling? And then all of a sudden one day it's sunny and it's a little warm and you go out on your front porch and you just stand in the sun And it feels like the sun rays, like if you can feel them hitting your skin and you're soaking it up like a sponge. Begin to imagine why we celebrate Epiphany around the time we do now. But think about that feeling that you felt before. Well, so imagine yourself talking to your friend and they're wondering why you celebrate the transfiguration and 
why do that now in late January? And that is the feeling that Peter, James, and John felt in Christ's presence on Mount Tabor around, you know, 32 AD or so. And that's how I feel when I'm at church. Would you like to feel that too? So we begin by confessing our sins, right? Sometimes on our knees, sometimes standing. Either is, is great. But I bring up the kneeling because Peter, James, and John, when they see the glory of God, they throw themselves down and they're terrified. The same way that before, the, before God, we are afraid because we are sinful. And that's why it's just the beginning. Because Christ declares his forgiveness to you. Not that you've forgotten that you're forgiven. But he has an external word outside of you that's not in your heart, that's not in your mind, that can be pointed to. You are forgiven. You are God's beloved son or daughter in whom he is well pleased. We make the sign of the cross in remembrance of our baptism because we're joined to Christ's baptism where God says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. For Jesus doesn't want to keep our faces bowed to the ground, neither did he allow Peter, James, and John to do so. No, first he spoke his word in person to them. Arise, don't be afraid. The Lord speaks to us his word in the preaching of the sermon in which he applies the written word to our lives. He makes it personal. Jesus does not keep us on the ground. No, he touches us. And it begins by touching our ears. But at the beginning of your life, how did you begin your journey into Christ's life at this baptismal font where he touched you with the water of baptism joined to his word? And of course, he touches us with his body and blood in bread and wine each and every week, each and every Sunday when you are tired or sad or hurt or angry Jesus comes down here and he speaks his life-giving word to you. He gives you his gifts and the radiance, the bright light of his true presence touch you and say, arise. Yes, dear brothers and sisters, the transfiguration is so important that Peter, who was there that day, did in fact follow Jesus' instructions. Jesus told him, don't tell anyone what you've seen until I've risen from the dead. But in the meantime, be silent and ponder it, contemplate it. Take note, he doesn't focus, Jesus, on the difficulty, but on the glory at the other end of the tunnel, when I rise from the dead. Learn from Jesus. 
Don't fixate on the difficulty and the troubles that are to come. Fixate on the glory on the other side. Yes, I may die. You may die if Jesus doesn't come again. But on the other side is the glory of resurrection and being like him. Peter takes these instructions to heart and decades later when he is a pastor and a bishop situated in the city of Rome, he writes a letter to all Christians and he pleads that they don't be deceived by cleverly devised myths. All sorts of tropes and hootenanny that the people are talking about that does not coincide with scripture. Instead, he says, believe people that you know, like Peter, James, and John, who had been killed, that I, the witness of the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, right? So when he was transfigured, he's describing what he saw. The voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard God's very voice born from heaven. So if you can imagine Peter, what he's saying is you grew up hearing about God the Father talking from the sky to Moses on Mount Sinai to King David. Well, I heard his voice from the sky. Isn't that crazy, fellow Christian? We heard God the Father himself speak because we were with Jesus on the holy mountain of Tabor But, Peter says, you and I have something more sure than even believing Peter, James, or John who are there. We have the prophetic word of God itself, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Some people believe that this was Peter instructing catechumens learning to be Christian, awaiting baptism. But of course, he's also talking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but doesn't want to talk about it too explicitly, lest persecutors take him away early and kill him for his preaching. Peter was a man who had grown accustomed to suffering for Jesus Since Jesus told him outright, you're going to be crucified just like I was. Wait for it. I won't tell you when. All right. But Peter knew that his beloved people, his beloved Christians under his care, they were too being persecuted and tortured for confessing Jesus Christ to be Lord. They were living in a dark place and it was his job to speak hope and truth to them all the time. Their friends were being killed or tortured, their families as well, yet the sure word of God remained a lamp that shined in a dark place until the day dawns, when our families, our our friends rise again just like Jesus did 
when we share in his shining glory, which he promised that day on Tabor. You see, friend, who has asked me why we celebrate transfiguration of Jesus, that glory, that promise is for you too. Peter was there to hear the voice of God the Father speak to him from heaven. Peter was there and he saw his heroes, Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. But when Peter, James, and John looked up, they saw Jesus only. It doesn't mean uh, that Moses and Elijah disappeared. But for some reason, they only were looking at Jesus. They saw him only. Maybe they were obeying God's command. Listen to him. They had Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, dwelling among us. The prophetic word made more sure than any experience or feeling. And he was here for them on this holy mountain, in this high place. Jesus Christ is more than a voice speaking from heaven. He is more than the Torah or the prophets. He is here for you. He speaks comfort to you. He touches you with his very body and blood, with water, with the hand of a Christian, with the hand of a pastor on your shoulder as you are reminded Despite all your feelings and thoughts, you are forgiven in Christ Jesus. Jesus went to the cross and died for you. He rose for you so that you who believe on him would be forgiven all your sins, would be comforted with the sure knowledge that you will be with him and share his glory, the majestic light eternally. Finally, whenever Moses would go up and talk to Jesus on the mountain and come back down, Jesus' contagious divine light would radiate from Moses' very face. And it was too much for the people of Israel because Jesus had not yet come. God was not yet man, and so Moses had to wear a veil. Now, brothers and sisters, God has made himself known. He has come in the flesh. He has come. His name is Jesus Christ. It's been revealed, epiphany. The veil is removed from your faces. Isn't that wonderful? Of all the time and all the space, you were born now. You don't have to wait in faith for a Messiah. He's here for you. You don't need to discern and think through, process long theology textbooks. Other people have done that for you. We just get to enjoy Jesus. The veil is removed from our faces. It's all about him. It's always been about him. And he's here for you. Amen.